Zechariah chapter 3, if I can turn you back to there. And we've entitled the message, The Sinner's Advocate. The Sinner's Advocate. Let's just unite our heart together. Word of prayer as we come uh, to the preaching of God's precious word. Father in heaven, we bless thee for thy goodness toward us. Thank you, Lord, for putting it in our hearts to be out at the house of God tonight. Thank you, Lord, we can come to this meeting house to worship and to praise thee, our living God. And we pray that thou would meet with us, Lord, now as we come to thy word. O God, that thou would give us the help of the Holy Spirit in understanding these scriptures. And Lord, that I might write them upon our souls. We pray that I might speak the word in season to each and every heart. And thou knowest every need tonight, even among the people of God. But Lord, thou art able to give us a little word in season. And I pray, Lord, that thy word would run and be glorified. Oh, we're conscious it's not only heard tonight, but it is heard even on a later occasion via the internet. And Lord, we pray it might be a blessing to others that will hear it later on. And oh God, that I might speak and I might be pleased to bring souls unto thyself in salvation blessing. Oh, hear our cry tonight. Fill us with thy spirit and with power. Lord, close out every distracting thought. And there's those things that would disturb us and trouble us. But Lord, shut out even those things. Cover us in neath the precious blood. Bind the devil tonight. Lord, give us that help and that power of the Spirit of God. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This book has its, has its background. That time when a 50,000 strong remnant of the Jews had returned from Babylonish captivity back to Judah and to the city of Jerusalem. It has, uh, as it's said in the book of Ezra, Indeed, the work at hand was the rebuilding of the temple. That temple was in ruins. But when that work was to uh, cease and be halted for 15 years as a result of the enemy, the, the, the Lord God himself raised up two prophets. The names of those prophets were Haggai and Zechariah. These men were to preach unto the people. The excuse that was offered is noted in the opening words of Haggai that the time was not come that the Lord's house should be built. While on the other hand, of course, it was said that they were happy to dwell in sealed houses. And so they gave their time to having comfortable surroundings themselves while the house of God lay in ruins. And the Lord through his prophet had to say, consider your ways. Zechariah is given a series of eight visions in quick succession at the start of this book in order to show the thoughts and the purposes of God concerning Israel and indeed the other nations. And that includes right up to the end of the age. This is a prophecy. There are prophetic scriptures within even this book concerning the Messiah, concerning the second coming of the Lord. But it is to the opening words of, first, of chapter 3 that I want us to consider in what is the fourth vision and which has shown the restored spiritual relationship that the nation would have with their God. Of course, that is something that the devil never wants to see happen. And why he is always out to frustrate the plan of God. 
The, the devil never wants his people to be in a close relationship with God. The God of this world, we read in Second Corinthians, hath blinded the minds of them that believe not, lest the glorious light of the gospel, who is the image of Christ, should shine unto them. The devil doesn't want the unbeliever to be brought into a saving relationship with Christ. And he will do all in his power to prevent that happening. But men and women, all his power is no match for all the power of God. And as we enter into these verses, and this further vision that is given to Zechariah, then there's a lovely picture here that is developed before us. And it shows us, among other things, the advocate that the sinner can have. I want you to see it. Consider with me, first of all, before we get to that, adversary. Words of verse 1. And he showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord and Satan standing at his right hand to resist him. In that little verse you will see a portrait of three different persons. There's Joshua the high priest. Now that's not Joshua back in the book of Joshua. That's the Joshua that is mentioned in the book of Ezra. He's the high priest. Then there's the angel of the Lord. And the angel of the Lord is none other than Christ himself. And then we have Satan. And there are some things that we can learn from these words about the great adversary that Peter describes in his epistle as a roaring lion going about seeking whom he may devour. I want you to notice his purpose is found here. For we read that he was standing at his right hand to resist him. That is, he was standing at Joshua's right hand to resist him. And the interesting thing about that is that the word Satan and the word resist is exactly the same word in the Hebrew. Three letters, three same letters are found in both words. Just the uh, punctuation is slightly different. You see, that's what Satan's purpose and plan is. It's to resist the work of God. It is to seek to hinder the gospel of Jesus Christ. He desires to frustrate the going forth of the word. And that is illustrated in other places throughout the scriptures. He thought that the promised seed would come through the line of Abel. And so he causes Cain to rise up against him and to murder him. We read of the parables of the Lord. Not least of the parable of the sower and the seed. And we know because the Lord gives the interpretation of each part of it. We know that the seed, of course, is the word of God. But what we do, we read of the, of the seed that is cast upon the stony ground or upon the, by, the bypath way. It says that the birds of the air come immediately to snatch it away. And the devil there is likened to the birds of the air. He wants to snatch away the word of God lest it rests on the soul. And in the context of what was happening in Jerusalem, Satan saw the rebuilding of this temple and he was to hinder that because the devil understood all that the temple represented. It was a place where God had chosen to meet with his people. It was a place where the praise of the Lord was to be offered. It was a place where the sacrifices were brought. It was there that the shedding of the blood was to take place as an atonement for the sins of the people. And is not the purpose of the devil the same to this very night? It is to hinder the worship of God. It is to prevent men and women from being found in the place where prayer is wont to be made. 
where praise is offered, where the Savior is uplifted as that once for all sacrifice for sins and where the message is proclaimed which is able to save the soul, the souls of men and women and boys and girls. You'll see his purpose hasn't changed one iota. But you'll notice also his position. He's standing, it says, at the right hand of Joshua. You might say that he's at his right elbow. He is there as an evil one, as the accuser, as the one who's named as a liar and a murderer from the beginning. He's right there. His position is so close at hand. And dear loved one, there may have been times where, although you cannot or I cannot see the evil one, yet you've felt him breathing down your neck. It's just as if he's standing, sitting on your shoulder, as it were. You've gone into a certain place. And be sure you can say, the devil's there. The devil was there. But you know, there are times when the accuser may seem to be so close, even in gospel meetings. And the persuadings of God's Spirit are sought to be drowned out by the devil. And the devil comes to you and he says, the preacher's right, you need to be saved. But you have plenty of time. Put it off to another occasion. And he's there with his resistance. Because that's what his purpose is, to resist. He wants to hinder the gospel message of hope reaching the souls of the hopeless that are yet lost in their sin. And he doesn't want either the believer, the child of God, to be encouraged and revived through hearing the word of God preached to their souls. And so he's at the right hand, as it were. But you know, there's also his perception. And understand what the problem concerning Joshua was from Satan's point of view. Then we ought to look at the words of verse 3. Now we're going to come back to verse 2. Because verse 2 is an answer to the charge of Satan. And it is strongly implied. While we haven't got the charge in these words. It's strongly implied what the charge was. When you consider verse 3. It says, Now Joshua was clothed with filthy garments and stood before the angel. We already know who Joshua was. He's the high priest. But the difficulty with verse 3 is this the high priest didn't wear filthy garments. The garments that the high priest wore, as you'll find in Leviticus and other places, other books, were often termed as the holy garments. The holy garments. And he would take off that holy garment as he went in to the holiest of holies on the day of atonement. And when he came out, uh, and that holy garment, of course, had the uh, tassels on the bottom of it and the bells, and the people could hear that atonement had been made for their sins. The garments he wore were holy. They were pure. They were clean. But you see, these garments here that he's standing in are called filthy garments. They're not the garments that he wore as a high priest, as one set apart to do his service. But the filthy garments speak to us of the sins of the people and of the land of which he represented. They speak of the defilement. There was defilement. There was sin among the people. And there was defilement and sin among the priesthood. And Satan is there to point it out. 
He lays the charge against Joshua who represented the people as a people who were unfit to be God's people. He saw it that Israel might be rejected before God. And if they were rejected, then Joshua is rejected as well. If Israel is rejected, then the promised seed cannot come. But if he's justified, then they're accepted. Joshua is accepted. And the promised Christ does come in due time. And the perception may be also from Satan that God was unfit to receive the worship and service of so sinful and so defiled a people. And men and women, there's a partial truth here. For Isaiah reminds us what we were by birth. If you consider Isaiah chapter 64, it is well known, of course, and the words of verse 6. It simply says, but as we all are as an unclean thing, and all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags, and we all do fade as a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away, there is a picture of the sinner. The sinner is not born into this world with pure garments. He has filthy rags upon him. The things that merit of merit that the sinner would bring before God are just considered as filthy. And just so that you get the full import of this, the word for filthy is only found in this form here and nowhere else. And it expresses in the Hebrew filth of the most loathsome character. I wonder, dear loved one, do you recognize the filth and heinousness of your sin before a holy God? The devil is an art of casting up sin. And the truth is that he finds plenty. We stand guilty before a holy God. And the problem for the sinner is that the holy law of God demands that when sin is finished, it bringeth forth death. It must be punished. And so there you have the adversary. He's a great adversary. But thank God we don't stop there. Because then you see the advocate. It's worth noting that the charge, when the charge is led by the devil, there's no word from Joshua. He doesn't speak a word. Instead, there's another who speaks up on his behalf. That's the advocate. As it is in a court of law. The accused stands in the dock before the judge. And an advocate speaks for him. You consider the person of this advocate. There's only one, you see, who can speak up for us. Only one who can answer. And one who that person was and is, is clear from the words of verse 2. And the Lord said unto Satan, The Lord rebuke thee, O Satan. There's a double emphasis given there. It's as if to say, it's the Lord himself who comes. He comes immediately and he rebukes the devil. And so while the devil is at the right hand of Joshua as his accuser, as his adversary, there's one before him who stands as his friend, and that is Christ. I wonder, do you know him tonight? Do you know that friend that sticketh closer than any brother? 
For I trust that you understand that there's no one who can rebuke Satan but the Lord. We're no match for the devil. We're no match for the great adversary. There is no one who is fit to silence the great accuser but the one who became us, bone of our bone and flesh of our flesh, so that he might destroy the works of the devil. And that's the person of the advocate. You'll see his plea. It's the Lord who speaks up on behalf of this man, Joshua. And in doing so, he shows the utter futility of the devil's accusations. I said we'd come back to verse 2. And the Lord said unto Satan, The Lord rebuked thee, O Satan. Even the Lord that hath chosen Jerusalem rebuked thee. Is not this a brand plucked out of the fire? One who was rebuking Satan was the one who had chosen Jerusalem. By inference, the one who had chosen Joshua, who represented the holy place, who represented the holy city and its people. And if the Lord had chosen Jerusalem, and if the Lord had chosen them, then he wasn't going to unchoose them. See, the Lord doesn't change his mind. He doesn't need to. His ways are perfect. His decrees are perfect. There are many times, of course, we need to change our minds because of wrong decisions or wrong directions that have been taken. And I trust the mirror of our borough does that. But God doesn't need to change his mind because he never makes a mistake. God is not like man. He doesn't need to change his mind for he is God. And dear people, a choice of God and salvation has been made before he spake even this world into being. He made that choice in eternity past. And yet, he is calling precious souls still unto himself. I wonder, have you heard his voice calling in mercy? Something else, not only had he chosen them, But he says in reference to Joshua that he was a brand plucked out of the burning. He and the people that had been rescued. Oh yes, they had known the sufferings. They had known the afflictions because of their sin. There had been those long years of captivity in Babylon. But God in mercy had delivered them. They may have been black with smoke. The smoke of their sin. Blackness of their sin. Yet God had delivered them from the fire. He's a brand plucked out of the fire. And you'll see that this plea is all of grace. The Lord didn't need to choose. He didn't need to deliver. For they were undeserving. But in the grace of the Lord he did. And so dear people in the gospel. The Lord doesn't need to call unto sinners. He doesn't need to extend his offer of mercy. That brings a sinner from the power of Satan. Unto the power of God. But in grace he does. That plea has yet been extended to those who are in danger of rising and sinking in those eternal fires of hell and that for all eternity. I wonder what will you do with the call of the gospel tonight for the guilty defiled sinner can go free all because of one who stood into their stead who paid the sufferings and the punishment that we deserved who endured the fire of God's wrath on our behalf. The power of this advocate is obvious. It shut the mouth of Satan. 
There's no comeback here. There's no further arguments. You turn over back to Isaiah chapter 50 in the words of verse 8. Isaiah chapter 50. Just read with me two verses here beginning at verse 8. It says, He is near that justifieth me. Who will contend with me? Let us stand together. Who is mine adversary? Let him come near to me. Behold, the Lord God will help me. Who is he that shall condemn me? Lo, they all shall wax old as a garment. The moth shall eat them up. The same truth is found in Romans chapter 8. The words of verse 33. It says, Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? As God that justifieth. Who is he that condemneth? It's Christ that died, yea, rather that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. Satan to Jesus must bow. He's no answer for our great advocate. That's how powerful the rebuke of the Lord is. I wonder is the Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ your advocate tonight? John speaks of that in 1 John chapter 2. In verse 1 he says, My little children, these things write I unto you, that ye sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And he is the propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. He pleads his righteousness on behalf of those who have received him for salvation. What a blessed comfort tonight to know that we stand before Almighty God one day. We'll stand before him at the great judgment seat of all the great judgment of all the earth. At the end of this age. And there will be an advocate there. An advocate who will speak up on our behalf. An advocate who will plead his death and plead his righteousness. Have you this assurance? Will he plead for you as one of his? She's mine. He's mine. I purchased them with my own precious blood. You can be absolutely sure he will if you come in repentance of your sin even now. Here's the advocate for the sinner. It's none other than the Lord of glory. You know, there's a final truth that I want you to see before we close tonight. That is the acceptance. What will happen if you seek the Lord for salvation? What happens if the sinner seeks the Lord in mercy tonight? You, the guilty, defiled, hell-deserving sinner will be accepted before God the Father on account of Christ, who is the Redeemer. Do you see it in our verses? Joshua had on the filthy garments, but he's permitted to stand before the Lord. It literally means he's standing before his face. He does so to express attendance unto the Lord as a servant. And as emphasized twice over verse 1, he showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord. 
Verse 3, Now Joshua was clothed with filthy garments and stood before the angel. He's permitted to stand before the Lord. While Satan can accuse, it's not his power to condemn. And Joshua's every one of God's people have the privilege of standing before the Lord. We're permitted to be in communion with our God. And we come before him through the one whom we can say love me and give himself for me. Because he is the only mediator between God and men. For unlike the popes of Rome who die and their place knows them no more, the Lord having died unto sin once, he liveth again in the power of an endless life. Dear soul, you can know by experience what it is to be accepted. What it is to be permitted to stand before the Lord, to be in his presence. None of us, this side of eternity, are perfect. We still have the old nature, yet we have that permission to stand before the Lord. What a mercy. Why? Well, you see, his acceptance is understood because he was pardoned. That's what God does in salvation. He freely pardons the sinner and he can do so because the advocate, the Lord Jesus, was to come to this earth that he might on that cross pay the punishment for sins that we deserve. There he freely shed his blood so that he, they might be atoned for. And because he finished the work and because the wrath of God was satisfied, God can then justify the sinner and they can be set free. And the great exchange is made. He takes off the filthy garments. And he gives the repentant sinner new garments. Look at verse 4. And he answered and spake unto those that stood before him, saying, Take away the filthy garments from him. And unto him he said, Behold, I have caused thine iniquity to pass from thee, and I will clothe thee with change of garment. They're the garments of Christ's righteousness. His perfect robe. Do you see how Isaiah speaks of it? What a contrast there is. I've already read with you Isaiah 64. Will you consider Isaiah 61 this time and the words of verse 10? It says, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God. For he hath clothed me with the garments of salvation. He hath covered me with the robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decketh himself with ornaments. And as a bride adorneth herself with her jewels. What a difference. What a difference Isaiah 61.10 is to Isaiah 64.6. Where we speak, uh, uh, see there the filthy garments of our righteousness. The change of raiment. In verse 4, you know, it indicates a rich apparel. In fact, it gives the sense of a, a robe of state. Have you known that great exchange been made? Do you have those spotless robe of Christ led to your account? That's what we're singing in the start of the meeting, Christ our righteousness. Do you have those spotless robes on tonight? That despite our sin, despite our feelings, the Lord looks upon you. He sees you clothed in Christ's righteousness, that perfect robe. 
So when the king comes in at the marriage supper of the Lamb, you'll be found to have on the wedding garment, that wedding garment that was freely provided by Christ and through the message of the gospel. There's acceptance with Joshua because he was pardoned. And this acceptance with God leads to a path of holiness. When his apparel was completed with the mitre on his head, the Lord proclaimed a message to Joshua. Look at verse 7. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, I will walk in my ways, and if thou wilt keep my charge, then thou shalt also judge my house, and shalt also keep my courts, and I will give thee places to walk among these that stand by. It, it amounts to a call for holy living. The believer, you see, is one who seeks to please the Lord. When we're saved, when we're clothed in Christ's righteousness, we do not walk anymore as the world walks. There's no satisfaction to be found in the things that we used to run to. There's a desire to be holy as he is holy. He gives grace and salvation. And he gives that grace to walk in his ways and to keep his commandments. For Christ came not to destroy the law but to fulfill it. And the promise is that when we keep this charge, that the Lord says, I will give thee places to walk among these that stand by. Who are these? Come back to verse 4. He answered and spake unto those that stood before him. Who stands before the Lord? The angels. They do so at his bidding. The holy angels. You see the promise of salvation tonight for the defiled, the guilty, filthy sinner is that one day, having received Christ as your Savior, one day when your life's work is done, the Lord shall call you to higher service. He shall bring you to glory, for that is where the holy angels attend continually and wait before the Lord to do his bidding. And there you shall hearken unto the voice of the one who called you by his grace. You see, like the hymn writer pendant men and women, but though the accuser roar of ills that I have done, I know them well, thousands more, but Jehovah findeth none. My friend, have you been pardoned? Have you been made into that vessel for honor, fit for the Master's use, assured of heaven one day, all because your advocate? If not, then come now and be saved. Be a changed person from this night forth, leaving this house knowing that you're accepted in the beloved. May God grant it to be so. The Lord bless his word even to the heart of the people of God tonight. For this is what the Lord has done for us. In salvation. Amen. The Lord bless his word to each and every soul.